Well, get your Bibles out, and, I, and there's a scripture. I want you to go to this with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, please. And I, and I want you to see this, and I, I almost hate to ask you this. How many of you don't bring a Bible? You go, I don't need one, I don't want one, have no intention of ever bringing one. I, I know I know. That I'm not trying to embarrass you. Mel, you got yours. Get in the habit of bringing a physical paper Bible. I know you like reading yours on your pad. So there's something about being able to mark up a Bible that causes you to be able to find certain scriptures when you need them. And, and, and I'll explain that to you better in a few minutes. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I'm going to pray again. Father, as I open up the word, I, I'm asking you that we will hear what you're saying to the church today, to each individual, every one of us, that, that we would be more studious when it comes to reading our Bibles and understanding what belongs to us and what you did for us. And I give you thanks for that, sir, in Jesus' name. Um, I, I really would like to get started on something with you guys. I asked Lisa the other day, let's make some adjustments in the way we talk about this church. Some people say, well, you need to, you need to have a, a slogan everybody can remember. Well, here's mine. We grow Christians. Amen. I, that's, that's what I do. When you walk in, I my whole deal in life is for you to know what belongs to you. That's, that's what I do. Everything I, everything I do from, from children's church and we're, we're working on children's church. We're going to work on the youth. I mean, we're working in every area of this church to where when children go home, they know their Bibles. When youth go home, they know their Bibles. If you come to this church, I, the greatest compliment you'll give me is I learned my Bible. I learned, I, I found out what was mine, and, and so that's a compliment to me. Um, there's a lot of things that can be said, but you say, well, isn't the new birth the most important thing? Well, yeah, but, but not to just get saved and just stay ignorant is not good. It's not God. And so having said that, when you come here, um, our Wednesday nights are not worship services. They're not prayer meetings. It's really a, a, an overgrown, intense time of, of Bible study. That's what we do. That's what Wednesday night is. My desire is to take you places you've never been and outside of this church probably never, never would go. And so that's just my forte. Um, I believe that Wednesday nights are made for teaching. Sunday mornings I use for more preaching. And the difference is, is, is all preaching has teaching all teaching has a certain amount of preaching. But preaching has a certain amount of inspiration. You know, that a boy, go get them. You can do it. You know, the greater one's in you. So uh, there's a lot more preaching or heralding, you know, um, to move and to do what you know to do Sunday morning than there is Wednesday night. But it's Wednesday night because, because the Bible says my, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And, and, and that's a big deal to me because a lot of times uh, we have people that aren't getting their prayers answered. And they're good people. There's nothing... You know, the devil will tell you that you're a sorry, good-for-nothing, low-down dog, but that's just not true. Uh, when you find out who you are in Christ, but knowing who you are in Christ and not knowing how to appropriate what belongs to you, you might as well not have it. You know, if you have a million dollars in the bank and you don't know how to get it out and use the ATM machine, you're just sitting there broke. And that's really what, that's really what teaching is for. So having said that, I want to I go over something. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I want to read this to you, and I want to ask you a question. What, what, is, and what is the most important, or what will be, if not, the most important day of your life? I hadn't heard anybody. The day you're saved? The day you die. Boy, I'll tell you, you better listen to Bob. Now you know why I call him Bible Bob. Bob is right. Now, I know many of you say the day I'm saved and all that, and I, and I understand. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you look bad while you're hollering at me. 
But, but there's a day coming, and I, and I want you to be very conscious of this day. There's a day that every one of us in this room and everybody on the earth will die. Everybody will die. You're going to die. And that day, nothing is going to matter except where you are in God. That's all. That Your whole life here should prepare you for that day. Now, I'm going to say it again because y'all are looking at me like a dog in a new bowl. So that means that y'all aren't getting it. There is nothing more. You die. You die. I want you to think about the fact that there's, I think that stats in America are that 20% of Americans are evangelical Christians. That means that 80% are not. To me, an evangelical is a person who believes the Bible. And even they, they say that even now 50% of them don't believe that all the Bible is, is, is inspired. They, they, they're doing, they do studies all the time on evangelicals. You understand, we're not talking about faith and word people. That's evangelical, Baptist, Methodist, you know, people who say we're evangelical. So, but only 20% of the people in the United States of America consider themselves born again. There's 80% of them that don't consider themselves, don't know it, don't care. I mean, do you ever think about the fact that you're going to hell and don't give a rip? Hey, that's, a, that's, a, that's scary. You know, I mean, I, I read the book, 23 Minutes in Hell. It scared the hell out of me. It, it just, I mean, it did. It gave me the heebie-jeebies. I'm thinking, good God almighty, I'm glad I'm not going. So if, if, if that's true, and it is true, most important day of your life is the day you die. So what is going to matter? There's only, nothing's going to matter but one thing. I mean, your car ain't going to matter. Your house ain't going to matter. You know, your doctor, ain't nothing going to matter. So really, that's the highest priority of your life. So I'm going to read something that the book of Ecclesiastes says. We're just going to read through it. We'll start with verse 6. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. He's talking about Sunday morning, Wednesday night preaching. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these of the making of many books. There is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. And let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Uh, I, hey, the day you get to meet Jesus, that, that, right, that is the day. That's the big kahuna. And everything that's going on in this world that's important has led up to man meeting God. Now, I'm going to get into that in a minute. I'm going to tell you why we're doing this. There's been a lot of things that happened. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read some stuff today, and I have a title, and it's extremely boring. And if I just read my title before I got started, uh, I'd probably have some of y'all slip out and go to the bathroom and never come back. <laughs> because you're, you're accustomed to hearing um, inspirational sermons but, but there is something more important than that in life. And um, I'm going to read this, and I'll try my best to explain it to you. I, I think I'll do a good job. 1 Timothy 4, 1. The Spirit especially says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, I made this statement Sunday morning, and I hit on this word doctrine, and it, it hit me, I never talk about doctrines. 
I never talk about doctrine. I've been preaching 30 years. I don't think I ever preached on doctrines once in my whole life, even though I preach doctrines. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm going to read something, and I don't, I'm not going to tell you where I am because I just want to read it. I want you to listen. In the same thing, it says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the word of faith and good doctrine. Let me read another one to you. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords to godliness. Let's look at another one. I'm just reading stuff. I'm not telling you where I am. Um, but you carefully followed my doctrine and my manner of life. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. So you see the Apostle Paul spent a lot of time talking about doctrine, didn't he? Is that important? Absolutely it's important. So I'm going to ask you some questions here, and I want you to think. What is our doctrine? What is it? What's yours? Do you know it? Let me say it another way. i got it written down. Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? And can you show it to others? That's a big deal, guys. That's not a small, that's not a small statement. Do you know what you believe? Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? And can you show what you believe to another person in the Bible and explain it to them? Can you find scriptures? I'm going to say this. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm going to ask you to, to pick up your Bible from this day forward for a while and start studying what it is you say you believe and be able to find what you believe in your Bible. Amen. And I'm going to show you in a minute how to do that. I'm going to start off with a doctrine tonight. It's a very, very important one. It's the most important doctrine that's ever hit the earth. And I'm going to tell you where it came from. I'm going to tell you that most of you in here believe it. And, but I'm going to show you where it is and why you believe it. And I'm going to show you how to find it. So that, because if you don't think the devil's not out to mess you up, well, you haven't been saved very long. So when he's coming along and tempting you and messing with you, do you know how to go and reassure yourself on even what you believe? When someone asks you what you believe, do you know how to open your Bible and show them what you believe? Or do you only know what sermons you're getting off of TV and you're mentally hearing them, but you can't, you kind of go, well, it's over there in Colossians and, and there's one in, uh, yeah, Ephesians, yeah, over there somewhere. And I believe that one over in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 somewhere too. I believe that one too. Well, if you did that in college, you'd have flunked. But a lot of Christians, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, if someone walked up and asked you what you believe showed in the Bible, you actually couldn't do it. Many, many Christians. And um, you should be able to. You should know. You should know. Okay. So having said that, what is, what is doctrine? Why is it important? Why do you need it? And do you need, do you need to know it? What is the Protestants' faith's primary doctrine and why? And do you even know what a Protestant is? Catherine should know what a Protestant is. All right, I'm gonna, can, 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 do you all mind me giving you a history lesson? If I, if, I, if I share history, will you promise not to go to sleep and act like you're enjoying it? One more time. If I give you some history... Do y'all mind a little knowledge of where all this came from? It's a big deal, guys. This is a big deal. Because you're going to churches, you're passing churches on the way here, Methodist, Episcopalian and stuff. You have no clue who they are, what they do, or why they're there. You don't even know what they believe. You got family members there, they go to here and there and there. And you have no idea what they believe. And yet, you're kind of like, well, we're, we go to the word of life. What do they believe? Oh, well. That God is good. That's what we believe. And it's a little deep. We're, we're a hair deeper than that. So I'm, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go. Um, go with me to Romans 3. 
Crystal, I'm going to need an amen out of you every once in a while because I need, because I know that you know this, but I need some of you to jump and holler with me because this is, this is a big deal. This is a big, big, big. What I'm fixing to do for you is I'm fixing to open up how to read your Bible, how to study it, and how for it to feed you faith. I'm going to show you how to do that. More than just, I believe I'm healed, I'm prosperous, I'm blessed, hallelujah, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Somewhere in the Bible. All right. The, the primary doctrine of the Bible, the primary um, Protestant doctrine is called justification by faith. Those are big fancy words. But wars have been fought over those three words. People have been burned at the stake for those words. People have died for those words. People have given their life for those words. People have read and studied and prayed for hours and hours, months and months and years and years just to learn what that meant. Amen. So I'm going to read it to you so that you can mark your Bible. Romans 3.28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That is the primary scripture of the doctrinal foundation of the Protestant church. I know y'all are going to be like, wow. I promise it'll get more exciting in just a minute. I knew y'all were going to do this to me, so I'm just going to have to use my faith. When Jesus came to this earth, the Jews had taken the Bible and taken the law of Moses and made works the way to righteousness. When Jesus was here, the biggest problem he had on the earth was not sinners, but it was religious people who believed that by the keeping of law, they were gained access into heaven. When you understand that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will start making sense to you. The difference between Jesus, and here's what, here's where the disconnect was. He preached that he was the way, not Moses, but yet he raised people from the dead and walked on water and made it. So, 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 so the, the average person who wasn't a theologian would make statements like, how is it that this man you call a heretic has opened my eyes, raised the dead and healed the sick? There's no way he's God. He's saying that we're not to keep the law of Moses. That is why there's a disconnect in the Bible with with religion. That's why they nailed Jesus to the cross for saying that he was God and he's the way. Do y'all get, do y'all at least follow me so far? All right. The Gentiles, when the Jews rejected the gospel, the Gentiles, the word Gentile means Gohim, it's all the people on the earth outside of the Jewish nation picked the gospel up and ran with it. God used America to make the Jews jealous because we have righteousness and the blessing of Abraham that they looked for for years and couldn't get. So the whole, the whole story when you're reading, so in the book of Romans, when you're reading the book of Romans through from one end to the other, Paul is making a case that it is only because of, now when we talk about the word faith, Stay with me. Don't look, I mean, stay here. Hook up with what I'm saying because I'm, what I'm telling you is life or death, heaven or hell. If you're trying to get healed and you don't understand this, you're never going to get healed. Do you understand that? You are not getting your prayers answered. You, unless you're rooted, rooted in righteousness, you will never have a good walk with God. Amen. You won't have one. 
You'll just come and flop around hoping someone will pray the prayer of faith for you. And that's what's wrong with the church today because you're not rooted in doctrine. You're not rooted in righteousness. You're rooted in somebody help me, somebody pray for me, somebody do something for me. But yet I'm telling you, you've got to know this. You've got to, this is yours and you've got to know this. This cost him, his, this cost Jesus everything to give you this. And you've got to know it. So whenever Jesus came, and, and when we use the word faith in God or faith in Jesus, it's not faith in that he exists. It's faith in what he did. His blood paid your debt and made you as righteous as God Almighty. And only, only through the blood of Jesus can you approach God. Only through the blood of Jesus. All right, so I'm going to go over this because Romans 3, he talks about there's none righteous, no, not one. He's talking about Old Testament people. Then he goes down there and he talks about the blood. So in chapter 4, just write this down. What he's going to do is he's going to, he's going to use all of chapter 4 and just understand this. Just understand what he's doing. He's going to explain to you that, that Abraham that was given the promise of righteousness 430 years before Moses ever came. That's the point of Romans chapter 4. So the Jews today who are relying on Moses, you, you have to ask them. If you want to talk to a Jew, look at them and say, well, explain Abraham to me because Moses, that's further than, than George Washington from us. That's a long period of time from Abraham to Moses. How can Moses be the answer to heaven when God gave it to Abraham by faith? So this is Paul, the apostle, who was a Pharisee, is making an argument. And this is what got him killed. This is what got Peter hung upside down. This is the big problem in the world today. It still is. All right, I'm going to move on. So chapter 4, well, let me read. Let me just read 4. What can we say that Abraham, my father, verse 1, according to the flesh, if Abraham was made righteous by works, he's got something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was accounted him for righteous. Moses isn't anywhere around. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have access by faith in the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we glory in tribulation. Chapter 5 goes into Adam and Jesus. And, and, and the Apostle Paul changes from Abraham and goes in and explains to you there's two races on the earth, and you're in one or the other. So everything in the book of Romans and all of Paul's writings, Paul was the greatest man that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. He finished the writing. More people have quoted the Apostle Paul than any human ever walked the earth. More Without Paul, we would not know what Jesus did. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they did not know what Jesus did. They only saw physical Jesus. Paul was the first one to see what he did behind the cross when he went down in the region of the dam and became sin. Peter didn't know that. James did not know that. John did not know that. Paul knew that by revelation, and Paul wrote by revelation. And he finished, he finished the teachings of the Lord Jesus and brought us the greatest revelation that changed the whole world. So, so Paul is like, I mean, if, if you have not read the book of Romans, you, that book is worth a million dollars of scripture. If, if you could put a price on the book. Knowing Paul would make you a genius. Think about that a minute. Because there's no way to know God without what Paul showed us. There's no way to even understand Jesus without what Paul said. Are y'all getting where I'm going? Are y'all getting where I'm going with this? All right. The, the next thing is Galatians 2. Go to Galatians 2, 16. I'm just going to three. Um, well, I better turn over there. I was going to quote it, but I'm not going to. Galatians 2, and, and you need to read this. Knowing that a man is not made righteous by the works of the law, 
but by faith in Jesus as we believed in Christ that we might be made righteous by faith and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no man will be justified. Verse 20, I was crucified with Christ. That means I, I, Jesus is substitute humanity. You would not know this without the book. You would not know this without a Bible. Without a Bible, you would not know what I just said. He was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that's living on, on the inside of me. And the life of God that brought him out of hell is living in me. And, and the life I'm living in my flesh, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It, for, if, for I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, Christ died in vain. Without the Bible, you would have absolutely no knowledge of even who you are or why you're here. Without, the, without, these, without this book. All right. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians or Popconians, who bewitched you that you would not obey the truth that before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you, crucified. I want to ask you a question. Did you get born again by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun the spirit, you now are made perfect by your flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the new birth to you and works miracles, does he do it by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? It does. All right. It, just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. Do you know you can't get healed unless you're putting your faith in Jesus, not in yourself, Amen. not even in your faith? Amen. That's why people don't walk in health, even though it belongs to the whole, the charismatic movement's been preaching healing for years, and most Christians in the church are sick as dogs because they're not rooted in righteousness. They're still, you got saved by the blood, you're going to get healed because of the blood, and without the blood, you ain't getting anything from God. He's not talking to you when you come in the throne room if you're not coming in there bringing the blood of Jesus. you got to know, you got to know that. All right, it's not a part, God plus part you, even though there's obedience. All right, in Romans chapter 10, go back to Romans again, go back to the book chapter 10, and then in chapter 10, he starts talking about the Jews. All right, um, I don't have time to get into nine. I wished I did. It would take me two weeks to get into nine. But the whole point of Jacob and Esau is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. The firstborn, the Jews, rejected the gospel. The, the Jacob, the secondborn, or the Gentiles received it. That's what he's making an analogy of. All right, I know that, I know that bothers Jewish people, but it's true. Romans 10.1, my, my brothers, my heart desire and prayer that Israel would be saved. I bear them witness that they all have a zeal for God, but it is not according to knowledge. And they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ... Is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes? Say amen. amen. Let me tell you something. That if, if we could spend a, a month on just righteousness, you would just get freer and freer and freer and freer and freer. Now, I'm going to read something to you because, okay, and, and, and I'm going to, we're going to do a little church history. Are you all ready? Yes. All right. The way the church stacked up was that after the apostles took off preaching Jesus up until about the year 300 A.D., the church was spreading and the church was becoming more powerful than government. Now, you got to know this. When's the last time, does anybody in here remember watching a Three Musketeer movie? Who are the key players in the movie? The king and who? The priest. Do you know why? Why, do y'all know why all of our old history movies during the Dark Ages, the priest was the most powerful person in the movie? That's history. Constantine from 272 to 337 ruled um, and he ruled 306 to 337. He was the first Christian emperor. He ordered the Edict of Milan in 313. This proclamation legalized Christianity and allowed freedom of worship throughout the empire. He placed crosses on the Romans' sh shields. Do y'all remember the Roman shields the, the, going down into Jerusalem? Okay, you, you know, y'all remember the Robin Hood movie? What was the, print, what was the king doing? He was down in Jerusalem. Doing what? 
killing Jews. See, most people don't. They, they're watching Robin Hood run around with his little bow and arrow and don't have any idea that the whole thing is anti-Semitic. Never mind. You just do a little study. I'm a historian. I love history. I, I love it. I'm going to tell you something in a minute and blow your mind. The church became more powerful than the government, and this was the beginning of the Holy Roman Empire, where the church was more influential than the government. So what they did was they married them and brought the church into government because the government could no longer control people who met Jesus. Okay, a little history. This is going to help you all. And, and, and when I get out of here, you're going to walk in and go, I have no idea. All this stuff going on in the world, I have no idea why they did that. All right, now next thing. The church, so by the time Martin Luther came along in Germany, he started the Protestant Reformation because the Catholic church was so powerful, they were selling forgiveness of sins as what what they call them? In indulgences, and he stood up, nailed his 95 thesis. He was not trying to start a reformation. He was just trying to go before the, the popery and go, um, is, I know that's not how you say it, but. <laughs> I'm just kind of wanting to wait. I'm just going to wait for how long it took you all to get it. He, he was just trying to go to the guys and saying, this is not right. And they kicked him out of the Catholic church. Now. At that time, now listen to me very carefully. I'm not anti-Catholic. I'm not anti-anything. I'm not here to be anti. I'm just giving you history. At that time, the Catholic Church hid the Bible so that you couldn't read it. Because they knew if you could read it, you could find out what. So the Holy Bible was only read by holy people. Kenny and I went over to the Catholic Church one day, and they wanted to know if we were all preachers because we had Bibles. They're not accustomed to seeing the average Christian walk around with a Bible in their hand, especially not walking in a church. Those people who have been in church have never read a Bible. And um, it's like Terry, and I know, I know Terry enough. I, I just say what I'm about to say. How old are you, Terry? 80. 80. How long have you been in this church? Yeah. Five years? He came out of the Catholic church and got born again when he got in here. Now, he'd have died in the Catholic church, he'd have gone to hell. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, am I saying that all Catholics are going to hell? No, I, I, I'm not here to judge anybody. I, I, I'm just telling you that Catholicism at its root is a religion that tells you you got to be good to make it. Do you all understand that? Okay, that's the root of the doctrine of Catholicism. Now, John Wet. Now, now when when Martin Luther uh, started the Protestant Reformation, and because of that, he had to go into hiding. And what happened was, he he um, he, he found the scripture, "The just live by faith," and found out that you're saved by faith in Jesus, not in works. And he started preaching it to the common man, and people started getting born again. And it it brought the world. The dark ages were dark. Because justification was not being preached. The, word, the, just, the doctrine of justification brought the world out of the dark ages. Without the doctrine of justification, America will go to hell. We've got to get back to preaching what God said about, about righteousness through the blood of Jesus. All right. Now, now, um, he condemned it. He started preaching it. John Wesley, 1703 to 1791. Now, I, this, this all started when I picked up uh, an American Minute and I started reading it. And, and I, I got to read this to you. Do you remember when, our, when the Americans came over here to the United States and started wanting freedom of religion? The reason was is because at that time in England, the king decided what religion you would be. And they wanted freedom from him to choose their own religion and not a state church. All right. Now, having said that, now you understand a little bit of American history when we came over. Now, the word Protestant means protester. 
It's a negative word, but yet we picked it up and said we're Protestant, which means we protested Catholicism. Now, does that mean your family members that go to the Catholic Church are saved? They might be, and they might not be. You need to know, you need to know how to open a Bible and talk to a Catholic and get them saved. Most of them have a good heart to God, but they don't know. They're ignorant. And if you let them die and go to hell, it's your fault. So you, you need to get off being lazy and start learning how to use your Bible. It's a tool. Amen. It's like using a chainsaw. You learn to use the thing. Amen? Yeah. Or a hammer. The king of England was head of the Anglican church from the time of Henry the, five, the Henry VIII. Beginning in 1535, all English subjects, including those in the English colonies, were required to take an oath of supremacy. Now listen to this oath. I, Daryl Morgan, do utterly testify and declare in my conscience that the king's highness is the only supreme governor of the realm and all spiritual ecclesiastical things belong to him, so help me God. You, that was the, if you're an Anglican preacher, you had to declare that, that the king is sovereign and, and, and you got to go through him to get to God. You understand? Are you all getting this? All right, all right. From, for most of England's history, from 1535 to 1829, to not take the oath was considered treason, resulted in government prosecution, arrest, fines, imprisonment, people being hanged, quartered, beheaded, burned at the stake. In 1735, a young Oxford graduate named John Wesley was sent as an Anglican minister to America, to Georgia, in hopes of evangelizing the Indians. Now, here's why he came over. He was an Anglican minister, but he was not saved. He's not born again. Susanna, his wife, is it Susanna, Suzanne? His, His dad was an Anglican preacher. And he grew up in the Anglican church and and wanted to be a priest. But he spent his whole life trying to become a good enough person to have assurance of salvation. Now think of the hell. When he's on the boat, and I I read all of this this week. I I read the whole book this week just to preach one sermon. That's why if y'all don't say amen, I'm going to come back there and get real mad at you. But he said the thing that scared him scared him was the storms because he feared dying because he didn't know if he was ready to meet God, and he was not. All right, now where I'm going to pick up now is, is I'm going to tell you how I got saved. On the trip over, the ship Simmons was carrying 25 German Moravian missionaries, as Wesley noted in his journey. Sunday, January 25th, 1736, I, uh, at 7 in the morning, I went to the Moravians, and I had long before observed their humility by performing servile offices of other passengers, which none of the English would undertake, said their loving Savior has done more for them. They were pushed, struck down, thrown down. They rose again, went their way. No complaint was ever in their mouth. The Moravian missionary movement was only a decade earlier started by Count Ludwig, somebody or another. It's a big, long German name. On the, west, on, on the Wesley's trip to Georgia, their ship was caught in a terrible storm and shredded the mainsail and flooded the deck. John Wesley saw how everyone panicked in fear except the Moravians, who continued to sing and, and praise God and sing songs. He noticed their relationship with the Lord was closer than his as he wrote in his journal, journal now there was an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from a spirit of fear. In the midst of the psalm, wherever their service began, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, poured water between the decks as if the great deep was swallowing them up. A terrible screaming became, started among the English. But the Germans calmly sang on. I asked one, were you not afraid? He said, I thank God, no. I asked you, but, but, but were, you not, were your women and children not afraid? He said, no. Our women and children, they're not afraid to die. And from then I went to the, from the crying, trembling neighbors and pointed out the difference between them and us. In other words, us Anglicans versus them. Now, when he got home back to England because he failed as a missionary, because he's trying to get people to just do, keep the law, and nobody wanted to just keep the law. And every time you try to get someone to keep the law, they'd break it, and he'd get all mad and hold nine yards. But his preaching didn't do any good. So when he got home, he wrestled with his conscience for years, but he never got the Moravians out of his mind that they said they had an assurance. So he met one of them, started talking to him, and through Luther, a book by Luther, John Wesley got born again, received Jesus as Lord, and put his faith in the blood. 
the revival that broke out in England and the revival that broke out in America that changed the whole nation that we live in right now was started because of the scripture I just read, the just live by faith and righteousness, justification by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless the blood changes you, so people have to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be born again, in order to be saved. All right. I'm saying that because you know we've gotten to where in America they're watering it down, and, and you and you don't you don't need to do that. All right, all right. So the Methodist John Wesley broke away from Calvinism, which was predestination, and all of the other guys that were starting reformations because he said that even though you're born again by faith, he still believes that faith should produce holiness, and it produced a holiness movement in America, which ended up in Azusa Street. What happened in Azusa Street? Holy Ghost fell on, on holiness or Methodist. Are y'all listening? Started what we call the Assemblies of God and the Church of God. All right, that movement continued in America called the Pentecostal Renewal and Holiness until the Charismatic Renewal started where the Charismatics are really Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalians, not Pentecostals who came out of denominational churches and found out about the Holy Ghost and, got, and, and, and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit and started learning about the gifts and that's where we sit today. Now, I'm telling you all that because this one scripture I read you changed everything in the world. That, that's, not, that's not little. I'm going to say that again. American, our government, the American Revolution... Everything that's ever happened in this nation that's ever been any good started out of a revival that went from state to state by a guy named Asbury, which came up under Wesley, preaching justification by faith. So here we have 2019, people sitting in church have no clue what the doctrines of the church are. Boy, I, 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 listen, listen. You, um, go, to, go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah, I think, 53. Go to Isaiah 53. Say, I'm ready. To, I'm ready. How are we doing for time? We're doing good. Isaiah 53. Go there. I'm going to show you something. Say, I'm listening. All right. When a person gets born again, and, and I'm very much for teaching you to live right. You've got to learn to live right. But if I don't get you rooted in righteousness first, you're, you're, the devil's going to beat you up, and you're going to think that your living right is earning something. And you're going to fight your battles from defeat. Well, I ain't no good, and I'm just sorry, good for nothing, dog. And, and you walk around church, you're afraid of God. For Sunday morning, I'm preaching on consecration. And I asked Lisa when I got home, I said, when did I lose them? Because I lost both services. I lost both services. You know what I mean by that? You disconnected. When I preached consecration, I lost you. Y'all are scared to death. Death of God. Yeah, you are. Because you're not rooted in righteousness. Come on, help me, Crystal. If you don't know who you are, I'm trying to preach. Uh, let, let me help you. Let me say it this way. If I walk up to a kid and say, someday you're going to have to have a house payment and you're going to have to get up and go to work. And the kids, he's, he goes, ah! You scare him to death because he's a child. 
He's not looking forward to waking up and going to work and, and making car payments and house payments and having babies. He's a child. And the church today is, 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 is at a babyhood state. You start talking about growing in God, y'all get scared out of your mind. But you've got to learn this. Come on, y'all. Don't shout me down. I'm going to show y'all something. I'm going to show y'all something. Okay. Um, have, have I lost you yet? Have I lost? Say, say I'm still here. Isaiah 53. This is the scripture we're talking about for healing. Can I show you how to get healed? Y'all know how to get healed. It's real. It's not hard. It's as easy to get healed as it is to get born again. Even of cancer. I know you, I'm going to wait because I want you to look at me like a. Verse 53, one, who believed our report? Whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, Jesus, grew before him as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground. He had no form of comeliness that you saw him, no beauty that you would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as was our faces. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he bore our griefs, sicknesses, carried our sorrows, pain. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. What's the word stripes mean? Bruises. Bruises. It's bruises. All right, now let, let me read it to you this way. He was bruised for sin, and because sin was dealt with, you're healed. No Decent, normal American Christian ever has a problem with saying, I'm saved. But we can't get you to say, I'm healed. It's a package, it's what you are. It's what you are. It's not, it has nothing to do with your body, it's what you are. And faith in the blood, you put faith in the blood before you were saved. Put faith in the blood and get healed. It's because of what Jesus did at Calvary and he took your sins that you are the healed. And if you don't understand it, go get Andrew's book. You've already got it. He wrote it, explained it, he spent a little money and learned something. When I read that book, I was really mad because I, I, I thought I should have wrote that book. And I'm mad that he wrote it first. Not really, not really. I, I'm, I'm really fine. Now, 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 hold on a minute because I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. Verse 53, 11. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many people because he will bear their iniquities. 54, 14, and in righteousness you will be established. What, what establishes you? You're justified by faith in Jesus. Say, I'm justified. I'm made righteous by my faith in what Jesus did. Say it every day. Say it to the devil. Read it every day. Mark it in your Bible. Get to the place where when you're having a bad day, you can go to Romans and read about justification and have a Holy Ghost fit in your living room. I've been made righteous. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because of the blood of Jesus. People have died to give you that one scripture. And it changed America, it changed the world. It, what, would it, what, what, would, what would it take to turn the Muslims if they would receive that one scripture? That's all they need. You change the whole Middle East. What would it take to turn the Jewish nation? One scripture. What would it take? Your relatives that are going to hell. They're going to hell. You know why? Because nobody ever told them that. They think you're talking religion to them. They think you're telling them they ought to live right. 
And there's people like John Wesley. Think about John Wesley, an Anglican preacher reading the Bible and praying six hours a day in order to become righteous and on his way to hell. And everything changed when he just stopped and prayed one prayer. I trust the blood of Jesus for my salvation. And when he got that revelation, he turned the whole United States upside down. Asbury put 6,000 miles a year on a horse. That's crazy, guys. But the revelation of this, America needed it. And these men that preached it turned our nation. And we're sitting in churches. We're sitting on a nation free today because of a scripture, because of a doctrine of justification. Are y'all okay? I know this sounds like a boring subject. We learned tonight about the doctrine of justification. That is a, I mean, you know, in the natural, that is like about a boring title. I had to ask Justin, I said, would you please do something, make it to where they don't go to sleep if I read the title? (laughs) I think I'm about done. There is, now it's not, now listen listen to what Wesley preached and what we preach. Though it's, you're justified by grace, by faith, you're made righteous so that you can live for God. Not so that you can live for yourself. So it does produce and should produce holiness in you. Why? Because of what he did for you. See, if you ever forget what he did, you're going to cool off and become lukewarm. And then you're going to make my job very hard. Lukewarm Christians are very difficult people to talk to. They're very difficult because I'm saved. Yeah, but you forgot what it cost you. You should never forget what it costs to get you where you are. That's what Jesus meant. He said, you forgot your first love. When you first met Jesus and you're excited because you were on your way to hell. And 50 years later, you're starting to rely on yourself. Well, I'm pretty smart. Well, I'm pretty good. Well, I pray a lot. I, 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 and yet you're as lukewarm as you can be. Well, don't shout me down. So, so even though I want to take this church on to maturity, you've got to make sure you're rooted in righteousness so that I'm not fighting with your carnal flesh all the way to maturity. <laughs> you've got to stay in love with Jesus. Why? Because you're justified by faith. He did it. He did it. He did it. Now, let me tell you something. That'll make us Baptist shout. Now, I'm going to tell you something about Wesley. That, that I'm reading the book, and he got criticized because while he was preaching, people would fall down like they were dead and have laughing fits and crying fits. And, and they, 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 they said he, he was causing emotions. He said, I'm not, he, he, he never even moved. When he preached, he stood in one spot and all the move was his mouth. He, he, he read his, his sermons. So it sure wasn't emotion. Amen. Now, for, for my own soul, d- did this help you just a, a little tiny bit? Does it help you to know where we came from and how we got where we are and why the, uh, uh, I mean, the Lutheran church is a, is a 
the Lutherans believed in justification by faith. But that's all they ever learned, and they never learned anything else. The Methodists never learned anything else except what Wesley taught them. That's why they're in the mess they are in today. You can't stay with a 200-year-old doctrine. you got to move on in God. Now, if I was in the Methodist church, I would tell them that. But this debt is a doornail over there right now. I mean, it's just dead. And, and if John Wesley would hear it, like, she'd, he'd be kicked out of his own church. Because he's a fireball. Do y'all understand what it took to get you where you are and all this, all this is happening? Now, I guess I'm basically done. I'm trying to burn up the clock right now. I got seven minutes and I don't know what to do with it. If you, if you would do one thing, get your Bible out. If you don't know how to study your Bible, get in the book of Romans and study righteousness and justification. They're the same word. In other words, they're a different word, but it's, it's, it's like the word male and man. They mean exactly the same thing. They're the same root word. So you can interchange the word, he was made righteous, he was made just. But if you did a study on what, what Paul preached, uh, it, would set you, it would set you free. I mean, it would literally free you up. The truth would set you free. Don't just pick up your Bible and just start reading it just to get brownie points. Actually study the Word of God. I, I, I've been in seminaries and preached on righteousness, and not one pastor in there had ever studied righteousness. I've had them write me and go, you have no idea how you set me free. Pastors. Cemetery pastors, cemetery graduates don't even know what the book of Romans is about. Pastoring a church and don't even understand Romans. Don't shout me down. We got people in church that never understood the book of Romans. Been going to church all your life, waiting on God to show up and do something. Never mind. Don't get me going. What would it take to get you rooted in righteousness? What would it take? I'm asking you to think about it. What would you need to do? Why don't you find out, why don't you get Romans 3 and 4 and, and, and read them in about three or four different translations and underline everything Paul said about righteousness and just begin meditating on the Scriptures. Just begin meditating on what Jesus did for you. And I'm going to tell you something. It, it'll, your life will start changing. Yep. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. There's, your faith will grow more for healing studying righteousness than anything else. Because once you're, once you're rooted in it, you're free from condemnation. You're free from shame. You're free from guilt. You're free. As he is, so am I in the earth. I was nailed to the cross with him. He's alive inside of me. All those things need to become real to you. Does that make sense? Not, not an occasional scripture you quote because you heard me quote it. Yeah, Pastor, I'm believing that scripture over there uh, in Mark 11 somewhere. I can see you are. And I can tell you right now, you had not seen your Bible in a month, have you? Come on, y'all. So how do, you, how do you study? This is the way I study. I'll take a subject like this. I might spend a half a year on one, on, on one just studying it because I want to know if that's mine, if that's mine, if healing's mine, I want it. If he paid for it, I want that. If prosperity's mine, if freedom from guilt is mine, I want that. I want peace. I want joy. I want this stuff. I'm not being religious. I'm not in there going, hum, hallelujah, 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 hallel
Oh, I got to spend one hour reading my Bible. I'm reading it to look in there and go. Because when you first start reading it, let me tell you one more thing and then I'll close. When John Wesley first heard the doctrine of justification by faith, he told the German preacher, he said, I don't believe it. He said, preach it till you do. And this story just came up. I want to tell you a story. He said he wasn't convinced it was true, that, that it was that easy to get saved. And here's a man that's been praying six hours a day in order to be saved and finds out all he has to do is believe in the blood. And he's fighting with it. So he went down and found a man on his deathbed that was a sinner and said, well, I'm going to try it on him. And he didn't believe it himself. And he read that scripture, and the guy got born again. Amen. And Wesley said, when I saw joy hit that man, he said, By, he, he wasn't saved himself. <laughs> Isn't this fun? Well, I'm out of time now. I done burned up the clock. Y'all ready to close and go home? Everybody look at me and say, that was good. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for all that you've done. I pray, I pray they don't go home tonight and go, well, that was boring. If they do, slap them for me. But Father God, I pray that everybody in the sound of my voice would become rooted and rooted in, in, in all that you died to give us. And yet the very Bible they're holding in their lap has changed the world, it's changed men, it's changed nations. One simple doctrine has changed the world. One simple group of scriptures has changed the whole course of nature for all humanity and brought, brought the world out of the dark ages, brought us out of poverty and raised up the greatest nation on the earth. One scripture, just one scripture, just one doctrine. What would happen if we actually read it and studied it ourselves? What if as a church we got rooted in the doctrine of salvation by grace, justification? Father, as though that sounds kind of corny, it sounds kind of religious, I pray that we would learn to, to revere the word and to pick it up and let it become alive in our lap as we read it. And we give you grace and glory and honor in Jesus' name, amen.